amen, amen. Hey, do me a favor. If you're with somebody, high five them, right? Connect with them. If your dog's there, love on your dog, love on your kids, do whatever you can do. Have some type of interaction with somebody. Welcome to Victory at Home. If you are just now joining us, you're kind of jumping in, or whether you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, we are in the middle of probably one of, or, or no doubt, one of my favorite series of all time, and it's already been very revolutionary for, for me, as well as many people in our church, and we're hearing about it all over social media and emails and all different things that this concept that we're doing, we're calling it The Journey, and the idea is that we're going through the book of John together and kind of um, answering the question to the best that we can, who is Jesus. And so obviously we are all raised, um, or maybe not all of us, but, but most of us, a lot of us are raised with some type of church background, of course, being in the South. And so maybe, maybe you've been to church a couple of times. Before I ever went to church for the first time, I had gone to church here or there, kind of you know, once or twice, never really got anything out of it. And regardless, whatever spiritual mentorship you have, again, whether it's attending a church or just a, a friend who's a Christian or maybe your parents were Christians, you kind of start to develop this idea of who Jesus is. And what we're really wanting to do is we're wanting to go back and kind of start at the basics and say, hey, maybe maybe we learned things about Jesus that aren't true. Maybe we, maybe we did learn some things about Jesus that are true. Maybe we just didn't learn all about Jesus. And so, so in this series, we're starting with the book of John and just going through it. I wanna encourage you real quick. I say this every week, and I want to encourage you to get a Bible and a journal. And the reason I'm telling you this is, number one, with your Bible, and I've been doing this, I can't show you on the camera because I don't think it'll pick it up, but I have been underlining and writing in my Bible because I wanna be able to go back to the book of John long after this series and study and go, oh yeah, and then the same thing with the journal. And so I've been kind of writing, I've got my own personal notes that I'm getting during my study, and then of course, whatever I'm getting from the sermon preps. And along with these sermons, in case you haven't done this yet, you can go to our website and you can click join the journey. And there's two things I want you to do. Number one, I want you to register for the journey. That sends me an email, lets me know that you're with me. It allows me to kind of send out uh, some, some, some behind the scene looks, some, some extra notes throughout the week. I sent out some extra notes just the other week uh, about the Lamb of God and the connection between the Lamb that was being sacrificed and Jesus himself. And a lot of people were like, oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that. And the only way you're going to get those extra notes is if you register for the journey. So do that. Also, you're going to find study guides for each uh, week where I'm going over some scriptures that maybe I didn't address in the sermon, as well as some study guide questions, some things you can ask yourself to just kind of get the ball rolling. You've also got some incredible social media graphics that you can use to share. And do me a favor right now, click the share button and invite everybody that's, all, that's a Facebook friend or, or, or any kind of friend that you have that you can send a YouTube video to through email and just say, hey, join me for the journey. This has been incredible for the people that I've talked to already, and I know it's going to be incredible for you and your friends. Y'all ready for part three? Uh, we've got, got a couple people in the house with us today. Everybody's watching online. We love you. We miss you. We can't wait till we can gather again together, but God is still moving through this venue. And so we're in John chapter three. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter three. We left off with John chapter two. So, so week one was Jesus is the Lamb of God. Week two was Jesus is the resurrection, and we walked through John chapter two and Jesus is the resurrection, and now we're in John chapter three. So we're gonna start with verse one. We'll read a few verses, and then I'll give you the context of today's message. So John chapter three, verse one starts like this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. 
He came to Jesus at night. Now, it's interesting that he came at night. Some people say he came at night because he was ashamed to come to Jesus. Some people say he came at night because he didn't, Jesus was a busy man and constantly surrounded by crowds, and so he wanted to have kind of a private one-on-one conversation. That's kind of the way I lean, is that he really wanted to have this intimate conversation with Jesus, and you'll see why in a minute. So he came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. So he says, we know you are sent from God, you're a teacher, um, and for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. So that he's establishing, like, I, I believe you are who you say you are. Jesus replies, watch this, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now this was huge for Nicodemus, and I'm gonna explain this and break it down in a second. But you gotta understand that Nicodemus would have been kind of the man they sent, right? So, so all, all the first century Jewish followers, that, you know, they, got, they can send one guy on their behalf to talk to Jesus, and they pick Nicodemus because he's a leader, and you know all these, so they send Nicodemus, he comes in, he talks to Jesus, Jesus drops this bomb on him where he says, no one can see the kingdom of God lest they are born again. And I love the way Nicodemus responds. He says, how can someone be born when they are old, right? So what happens is Nicodemus takes this literally, right? He's like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, you know, however old, I'm 40 years old. How can I, like, is this Benjamin Button? Like, how can I go backwards, right, and be born again? And then Jesus says, surely they cannot, or I'm sorry, Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born, right? So this is, this is his literal, he's like, I, I, I've got facial hair, like I can't go back into my mom's womb. Like he's just getting real, real, you know, illustration, right? Boom, I can't, this can't happen, right? This would be very uncomfortable and awkward, this can't happen. And then the Bible says, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Now when he says born of water, he's talking about natural birth because when obviously there's water involved in a natural birth. So he says you have to be both first born of water, you have to be actually born, and then you have to be born again of spirit, which is accepting Christ as your savior. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. And then verse seven, he says this, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. A lot of us have heard that concept before when they talk about Christianity or relationship with Jesus, you need to be born again. And so I wanna kind of break that down today and I wanna do it in a message that I have titled The New Normal. The New Normal. So if you're watching online, put it in the chat, The New Normal. If you're here with a couple people, look at the person beside you and say, The New Normal. The New Normal. I think we could all agree that 2020 has been very interesting. Um, it has certainly brought us a lot of new experiences, right? For example, um, it, it's new for us to go into an establishment and have to experience a mass uh, you know, thermometer uh, testing, right? That, that's new to us, to be, have to go to the gym and have somebody point a thermometer at your head sideways like a kill shot and get your temperature from your forehead. That, that's new, right? That's, that's new to us. To, to have to wear a mask everywhere you go, that, that's new to us. To, to go into any kind of establishment, grocery store, whatever it be, and then have these like directional arrows that kind of tell you, you should go down this aisle and make a left. And then there's this circle that tells you that you have to stand here so that you are six feet away from them. Like that, that's very new to us. Um, you know, any kind of gathering where it is half capacity, to go to restaurants and have multiple tables surrounding you that are empty to just separate you from other people, is, that's, that's new. 
Um, to watch sporting events and have digital crowds versus having real people is new. Matter of fact, I, I was telling a friend of mine, I was watching an NBA playoff game while I was flipping back and forth to a meaningful NFL football game, and that was very new to me because normally those sports don't align on the same time frame. So it was just new to me. A, a lot of things are new right now. Not necessarily bad. Some, we would say they're bad, but, but they're just new and when I hear people talk about 2020, I hear a lot of people say something like this. I, I, I can't wait till things get back to normal, right? You'll hear people say that. Like, I can't wait till things, and when I talk about it, I do this. I don't really know what this means, but my idea is that, that there really is, well, what is normal, right? So can't wait till things get back to normal. And now what I'm hearing people say in a response to that is this right here. We will never go back to normal. It'll be a new normal. Y'all heard somebody say that? Like, like the idea is this, that whatever you and I would have considered to be normal prior to 2020, they're saying that we will not return to that because that's what we really want. Even though some of us were unhappy and didn't like what we were experiencing, what we really want is to kind of, we just want a moment of kind of, you know, we just want things to settle down a little bit and let's go back to what's normal. And what we're really saying is let's go back to what's comfortable, Right? But what people are telling us is that because of what's happened, you will not be able to go back to the old normal, that there is now a new normal. Make sense? Okay, so watch this. Interestingly enough, when Jesus stepped into history, it was to introduce something entirely new. Okay, the moment Jesus comes onto the scene, he is there to introduce something to everybody that is completely new. You, you, some people would call it a new covenant. Some would label it a new movement. Some would maybe even say a new command. But regardless, listen to me. Jesus did not just show up to die for our sins. Jesus came to establish a new normal, all right? Jesus came to establish a new normal. Let me give you an example of what I mean. First century Jewish followers had a belief system. They were actually being taught that because they were descendants of Abraham, they were assured heaven, okay? So, so when Nicodemus walks up to Jesus, all right, and he starts talking about uh, being, being born again, his belief system at that moment that he has been trained and taught is because he is a descendant of Abraham, he is assured to be in heaven. Matter of fact, some were being taught, watch this, that Abraham himself was standing at the gates of hell, protecting and making sure that none of his descendants wandered into hell. Isn't that interesting? Like This is what they're being taught, that Abraham, so just because they were born in Abraham's descendancy, all because of that, even Abraham is standing at the gates of hell making sure that one of his followers don't accidentally walk in, right? This was their belief system. Now watch this. Now imagine you believing that you are assured heaven because of your birthright, and then Jesus shows up and says, you have to be born again. Now, had he said, the Gentiles need to be born again, that would have made sense to Nicodemus because he would have said, well, that, yeah, because, you know, I was born on the right side, and they were all born on the other side. And so, so you're right. They, they need to be born again in hopes that they might be born like us, and then they'd be able to be assured heaven like us. So, so yeah, Jesus, that makes sense. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Everyone, 
everyone has to be born again to be able to experience eternal life. And that would have been the moment where Nicodemus would have said, say what? Like, but you realize I'm Jewish. So I'm, I'm in the descendant, I'm a descendant of Abraham. And so I'm, I'm assured heaven. I don't, I don't need to be born again because I got it right the first time. And Jesus says, no, no, that's the old normal. And I have showed up to establish a new normal. And here was the message that was behind Jesus's new normal, that believing was over behaving. He had come to establish the thought that believing was greater than behaving. Goes on to say in chapter three, verse nine, Nicodemus says, how can this be? Right? He's like, what? You gotta be kidding. Like, I hit the lottery, and now you're telling me that all of a sudden money doesn't matter? You know what I mean? Like, that, that's like, you gotta be kidding me. And uh, Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher? I love this, because Jesus, Jesus was always throwing shade. You know what I mean? He's just walking around with an umbrella, throwing shade. He said, you're, you are Israel's teacher? And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Watch this, this was so powerful when Jesus said this. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? So I've been talking to you about earthly things and you don't get it. Now you wanna talk about heavenly things, you think you're gonna all of a sudden understand it? He says you can't. He says no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Obviously he's referring to himself. And then he says in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. Now I'm gonna give you this week in the study guide more information on verse 14 because there's a lot behind that and I don't want to lose some of my time to that. So pay attention this week, check out the study guide and you'll see a little explanation on verse 14. And then he ends it with verse 15 and here we go. That everyone, everybody say everyone, everyone who believes may have eternal life in who? Him. Jesus sums up, why are you here, Jesus? I'm here to establish a new normal that believing is over behaving, and I'm gonna do it by saying this. Everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, here's what's important for you to understand. Nicodemus, along with many of the Jews, believed that Jesus had come to continue their normal, okay? So, so let, me, let me kind of break it down to be able to apply to you. Right now, when, when 2020 is over or COVID-19 passes or whatever that's gonna look like, we honestly don't know, our desire is that normal is going to pick up where it left off, right? Like, oh man, I was about to go to this restaurant with my friends, and then I was actually talking to a couple that I'm marrying in a couple of, a couple of weeks, and, and the, the, the wife, or the soon-to-be wife, she, was, she had just got her schedule changed at her job, and the Sunday she was gonna be able to start coming to victory is when we had to shut down for COVID-19. And she was like, I just couldn't stand it. And, and, and as she's communicating, you know, her thought pattern is, the second this is over, we'll just pick up where we left off. And this is what Nicodemus and Jews in that day believed. Because watch, they, they were God's chosen people. And then all of a sudden, God went silent for 400 years. And now Rome is in charge. And they believed that when the Messiah showed up, whoever the Messiah was, they knew the Messiah had been prophesied. So whenever the Messiah showed up, who now they realize is Jesus, they are convinced that the Messiah, pay attention, is going to pick up where things left off. That makes sense? That, that as soon as Jesus 
comes out as the Messiah, that he is going to continue their current idea of what normal was. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I did not come to Jerusalem to offer you this updated version of your old normal. It's not why I'm here. I am here to replace what is currently in place. Y'all gotta follow along with me today because there's a lot of teaching in today. Jesus says to Nicodemus, when he says, anybody who believes in him, eternal life, uh, born again, Jesus says, I am not here to pick up where you left off. Are you catching this? I didn't show up so that you could get back into your old normal. I am here, the reason Jesus Christ is here is to replace what is currently in place. Let me tell you what's in place. What's in place? What's Jesus there to replace? The system that was currently in place was a behavior-based, performance-based, sacrifice-based system. That's the system that was in place. And that system believed, pay attention, that when the Messiah came, when God came, he would finally get rid of every person that didn't behave like them. <laughs> this was the old system belief. It's behave-based, it's performance-based, it's sacrifice-based, and the underlining belief is that once God comes back, he's gonna remove anybody who doesn't behave like us. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like modern-day religion to me, right? Somebody's watching right now, and you're like, that sounds like the church my mom and dad used to take me to. That, that sounds like what I've always thought church was, a behavior, performance-based system where they worship a God who is trying to get rid of everybody who doesn't behave like them, right? Isn't that the belief? This was the old system that they wanted Jesus to continue. And Jesus comes up and he says this, pay attention, this is so good. Jesus says, when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to recon reconciliation with God, when it comes to a relationship with God, pay attention, watch this, here's what Jesus is saying. The one thing that you must do is the one thing you cannot do. Look, I, I got slain in my study when the Lord finally dropped that statement in my mind. Listen to what Jesus is saying. You're coming from a system where it is performance-based. I have to do. I have to be there at this time. I have to memorize these five books. I have to be able to sacrifice this lamb in the morning. And this. you are coming from a system that is performance-based. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, they're saying, Jesus, what do we do? And Jesus says, you've, met, you've got it all mixed up. My new normal, my message is this. The one thing that you must do, the one thing that you have to do to have eternal life, you cannot do. You have to be born again, and Nicodemus was right. We don't know how to re-enter a womb and be born again, because the one thing that we must do is the one thing that you and I cannot do. And so Jesus did that, right? You ever had somebody, like you ever been in a conversation with somebody, and you thought you knew what they were going to say, right? Like, Maybe you asked them a question and you thought you knew what their answer was going to be. Or they said, hey, can we talk? And you were like, oh, I know what this is going to be about. And so you're in this conversation with somebody and you're like, I know what this is about. And then they say something 
and it's not at all what you thought it was gonna be, right? And it kind of throws you off. You ever been in one of those situations? Okay, so let me, let me tell you a situation I was just in. Uh, a little while ago, I was driving in a car with my youngest, Casey Ray, and I had been trying to, Darla and I have been trying to kind of walk them through the journey as well, so I wanted to talk to her about the Lamb of God and Jesus. So we're kind of going back and forth. We're driving to do some errands, and she's asking me all these questions about the Lamb of God, and she's asking me like some theological questions, right? Like, like her first question was this, you ready? And I want you to know how hard it is to be a pastor and a dad. First question was, why did God choose a lamb and not a bear? And I was like, uh, you got me. I don't know. I, I'm already done trying this theological stuff. Like, like you know, I mean, she just had these theological questions. She, I, I told her this. She said, what did they do to the lamb? And I didn't want to say, like, they killed it and massacred it. You know, I mean, you know, she's five years old. I, and she has a stuffed animal lamb. I didn't want to go there. And so I was like, well, he cut it. And she's like, where did he cut it? And I'm like, ah. And she's like, well, Dad, did he, like, cut it, cut it, or did he cut it in half? And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, this conversation is going. And so she's just, she's just pounding one by one these like theological questions. And all of a sudden, it gets silent for a moment. And she's, she, you can tell she's getting ready to ask another question. And I'm trying in my mind to like get ahead of the question. Right? Like, okay, what's she gonna ask? How can I get ready to answer? And all of a sudden she goes, Dad? And I said, yeah, and she, here's what she said. So we've, she's asked me about seven questions about Jesus, theological, the, theology, Lamb of God. She goes, Dad, who are Poppy's parents? And I was like, what does that have to do with anything, right? Like, this, this Poppy's her granddad. So she's like, she's asking, who are her great-grandparents? And I'm like, how do we go from does God cut the lamb in half to who are Poppy's grandparents, right? Like, it's just not what you expect. And I'll just be honest with you, that's not what I expected her to say. And you have to be able to put yourself in this situation with Nicodemus, and he's a representation of all the Jewish followers, and that's not what they expected Jesus to say. Matter of fact, it was so difficult for first century Jewish followers because Jesus was saying, or I'm sorry, he wasn't saying what they thought he was going to say. And that's difficult. It's difficult to follow somebody who isn't saying what you think they should say. What they thought he should say was, I am here to continue the blessing that you're already in because you are a descendant of Abraham. I'm here to wipe out everybody who's not a descendant of Abraham. That's what they thought he was going to say. And because he steps up and says, hey, guess what? Now you all have to be born again. And anyone who believes in God can have eternal life. That, That wasn't what they thought he was going to say. And it rattled them a little bit. And you know why it rattled them? Watch this. Here's why it rattled them. Because new things generally bother those who like the old. People who are comfortable with old are the only ones who are really ever bothered with new, right? Like, 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 let me say it like this. People who benefit from old are normally the ones who get aggravated with new, right? Well, well, old is what makes me financial stable, financially stable, so I'm uncomfortable with new. People who are not benefiting from old, they're like, sure, bring on the new, because I'm already, you know, in a bad situation. No Gentile was mad at Jesus's new normal. You know why? Because their situation sucked. So it's like, sure, give me something new. The people who were, had the, the descendant of Abraham guarantee of heaven were the ones that liked the old. 
Because when you are comfortable and enjoying and benefiting from the new, you don't like old. Blockbuster didn't like Netflix. Right? Did you like Netflix? I did. Because I didn't have to go and stand in line for an hour to get a VHS that wasn't even there to begin with. I like new because I didn't work at Blockbuster. It didn't bother me. But Blockbuster didn't like Netflix. Pagers didn't like cell phones. But I like cell phones because I don't have to go, is that a 911 or what is that? And then run and find a payphone, right? Typewriters didn't like computers. Encyclopedias didn't like Google. Because when you are comfortable and benefiting from the old, you do not like the new. Now watch this. This is why Jewish leaders didn't like Jesus. This is actually what got him killed. Because he threatened everything that they valued. Did you hear that? Everything that was old to them, the old normal that they valued so much, everything Jesus was doing and saying threatened their old. So they didn't like Jesus because they were comfortable and benefiting from the old. And Jesus said, I've come with the new, right? And now no longer is the new just about you, but it's about Everybody, and watch this. Oh my gosh, it's so good. If what he claimed was true, then it meant an end to everything that they thought was normal. Y'all are not even ready for me this morning. Everybody's like, I can't wait to get back to normal. Let's get back to normal. I want to be able to go to a restaurant and sit with 30 people. Let's go back to normal. And that's fun. But now you understand why these people were so frustrated with Jesus. Because if what he says is true, then there is no going back to normal. The old normal is gone. And then there's this new normal. Here's what Jesus was saying. You ready? The old normal was D-O, do. The new normal was D-O-N-E, done, right? The old normals do, 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 behave, perform, do. Jesus said, I've already done. So the old normal was do, the new normal is done. Can I be honest with you for a second and, and, and just, just amen me if you're here with me and amen me in the chat. Would you agree that a lot of people believe that the American church system is still the old system? That, that the American church today is still based off behavior and performance, right? And that our mindset sometimes is still, we serve a God who's going to come and wipe out everybody who doesn't behave like us, right? Isn't that funny? I mean, think about it. Most people who are watching I mean, I, I, I'll take myself, I'm 37, 36, I don't know how old I am, um, I'm old, but, but my first introduction to church was a behavior performance-driven church. Wear a suit, wear a tie, right? Go to Sunday school, honor your parents, 
You know, it was, it was all about behavior. And that's what you're introduced to. You, you, you walk into a system that for some reason is still stuck in the old normal that Jesus came to abolish back then. So he's introducing a new normal, hear me, that we in religious situations today are still stuck in the old normal. And we are behavior driven. Now watch this. Here's my concern. When you build something on behavior first, I'm not saying that behavior shouldn't change, and we'll talk about that in a second. But when you build something on behavior first, behavior becomes driven by reward. Okay? If I want my kids to change their behavior, and I don't want to break down the root of what's happening and the belief system, I just go straight to reward. Don't do that. I'll give you this. Right? Pavlov's law taught us this, that our behavior can be driven by reward. But here's the problem. If you prolong the reward, or if you don't give the reward at all, people abandon the behavior. Am I right? If I tell my child right now, if you will be quiet, I'll get you a lollipop. And she all of a sudden becomes quiet and then says, where's my lollipop? And I say, I'll get it next Tuesday. You can guarantee she's going to start talking again. Because behavior is driven, when you make behavior first, when you make it the focus, it's driven by reward. And when the reward is prolonged, people abandon the behavior. Can I give you the most honest evidence of this? I said a couple weeks ago that people were leaving the church by record numbers, by record numbers. Why? Because when they were introduced to the church, it was a behavior system driven by reward. You need to behave so you will go to what? Heaven. Welcome to church. You need to obey these commands so you can go to heaven and not hell. That is behavior system driven by reward. But here's the honest truth. Most of us feel like heaven and hell is 40 or 50 years away. Now, it may not be, but some of us feel that way. So what you're doing is you're trying to cause us to change behavior based on a reward that's prolonged. So it would only make sense that over time, people would abandon the behavior. I am preaching today, but nobody wants to hear this. This is why we don't even want to go to church, or this is why we go to church and hide who we really are, because we've been taught that if we can just have the right behavior, we'll get the right reward. But the only reward people give us is a reward that could be decades away. And so we say, well, I'll just wait until the reward's closer, and then I'll get my life right. Right? I want to live now, but when I get sick, I'm going to go back to behavior. Am I right? Am I right? There's something twisted there. Hear me. The disciples didn't follow Jesus for a reward. They followed him because they believed. Their reward was death. <laughs> they didn't follow him for a reward. They followed him because they believed he was Jesus, the son of God. And they believed that there was nothing else better to follow than the son of God. They weren't trying to change behavior to be able to get a reward. They had stepped into a belief, right? I want to tell you something right now that 
that I think could be revolutionary for us when it comes to our faith growth with Jesus. You ready? The old system said for you to behave until you believe. The new system says you need to believe, therefore you will belong, and it will eventually impact how you behave. I'm gonna say it again. Jamal, six people are the only people who got it. Everybody, somebody's eating a Chips Ahoy cookie right now and did not pay attention to what I just said, okay? The, the old normal, stop what you, smack your kid in the face for a second and pay attention, okay? The old normal said, behave until you believe. Get your system, get yourself right, and then you will be a Christian. You need to behave, just keep doing, right? Until you finally get it right. Just keep trying, doesn't matter. Just get up back on the horse. Just keep behaving and you will eventually believe. Jesus said, you got to be kidding me. That's the old system. Jesus said, I came on the scene to establish a new normal and the new normal is not behave until you believe. The new normal is believe, understand you belong, because when you believe, you become a child of God. You are reconciled to your father. You inherit everything that a child of God has. Belong, you believe, you belong. And trust me, it will impact how you behave. So many people are trying to change behavior before they believe. And it's not going to work. Because the only reward you can hang on to is heaven, and for some of us, heaven is decades away. But when you understand that belief comes first, oh, I believe in you, Jesus. And because I believe in you, I understand that I belong with you. And eventually, I don't know, a week, a year, 10 years, I don't know. I'm not in that, that, that close to you in your life. But listen, the longer you believe, the more you understand you belong. I promise you, as someone who has seen it time and time and time and time again, it will impact how you behave. The new normal. Jesus said, y'all got me twisted. I am not here, oh my gosh, I, Jesus, I'm not here to keep up religion. I'm, that's not what I showed up for. Oh God, can you just keep, it's working for us. We're wealthy and we're popular. It's working, will you just keep it going? Jesus says, no, no, you messed up. You messed up. Because it's not behave until you believe, it's believe and watch it impact the way you behave. And Nicodemus says, you got to be kidding me. His mind was blown. Now, I'm going to talk more about this throughout this series, but I want to I stop for a second, put a period there, and, and hit something else. Jesus said a lot of crazy things. And as we go through this series, I'm going to do all I can to point out to you just how ludicrous some of these things Jesus, because when we read it, we're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, like, like, People should have been like, oh, Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus was saying crazy stuff, crazy stuff that would have just been, it was just revolutionary. But there are two words that, thanks to the book of John, are about to be pinned that are going to be two of the most, if not the most, revolutionary words pinned of all time. Okay? But before I tell you the words, I got to give you the scene. Okay? So, imagine that I'm John. 
Let's move me over a little bit, make sure I'm center to the camera. I'm John. Woo, almost died. It's not about behavior, it's about belief. Um, and somebody says to John, hey, you were around for all of these incredible things with Jesus. You really need to record these things. The Bible says the Holy Spirit helped him, so that means the Holy Spirit brought back to his memory different things. Because if you notice, pay attention, that when John writes the book of John, it's post-resurrection, okay? So as, as he's writing this, Jesus has died on the cross, resurrected, ascended to heaven, all that's happened. But if you noticed when we were reading the story of Nicodemus, it was obviously pre-resurrection, right? Like Jesus had not even died yet. So when John's writing it, it's post-resurrection. But what he's writing about happened pre-resurrection, Okay, so let me, again, let me, let me set you up for the scene. So John sits down, somebody hands him a pen, and they go, man, you've got to start recording the stuff that happened with Jesus. And he's like, okay, wow, wow, where do I start? Wow, um, in the beginning, right? In the beginning was God. He starts, and he goes, oh, right off the bat, I gotta make sure they understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Like, I gotta, I gotta make sure that, that I put that story first because that's vital to their faith that they know Jesus died for their sins. And then after I did that, oh, I gotta let them know about the first miracle because that was the moment that God revealed that he was this miraculous miracle working. That was the moment the disciples believed. That's the moment it went from behavior to belief. And so I gotta put that in there. And then, then he's like, all right, now, you know, ooh, ooh, I, I love, mm, I remember, ooh, there was this conversation with Nicodemus. And so he's like, okay, hold on. And like Nicodemus walked up, okay, Nicodemus said this, and then Jesus told him, every, oh yeah, he said, everybody's got to be born again. And he's like, oh, and Nicodemus was freaking out, oh my God, Nicodemus was like, you say what? You know, like, I don't, I don't know what the words would have been back then versus now, but he's right, he's like, man, he, he, he's just blown away by how shocked Nicodemus was, because in his mind, he realizes, hey, this happened before the resurrection, so imagine retelling this story in your mind post-resurrection, knowing this story happened pre-resurrection. So he's just like, this is crazy. Like, I remember Nicodemus said that, and I know I totally get it now. I get why Nicodemus said that and why he thought that, because the resurrection hadn't happened yet, and this is crazy. And now watch, this is so good. He stops for a second because he's recalling this conversation with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus' shock of the moment that the old normal was shifting to a new normal. The moment that it was no longer just them, but everybody. The moment it was shifting from behavior and performance to faith and belief. And John is processing that in his mind and watch this, he goes, oh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only be begotten son. So Whoever whoever believes in him 
And those two words became the most revolutionary words that would ever be penned for faith. You know, John 3.16 has become one of the foundational verses of our faith. And if somebody says to you, what are the two most revolutionary words in John 3.16? You would say, well, it has to be God loved, right? God, God, God loved. No, man, it's not God loved. What if it's like gave son, <laughs> right? Because I mean, you know. The Jewish followers of that day were not taught that God loved the world. They were taught that God loved Israel. So for them to be told that the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was global would have been revolutionary. Whoever believes We've never understood a law or a religion where whoever believes. They had been taught that God's agreement with them was exclusive. But they were learning that God was a lot of things, but not exclusive. Whoever Believes. Can I tell you what hurts my heart the most? Is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to establish a new normal. <laughs> and we keep bringing up the old. It's got to be about behavior and performance. You got to do this and you got to do that. Sacrifice based. Move those because they're not like us. We're facing it today. Turn on your news. They're not like us. They're not in ours. Right? It's just, it's, we still bring up the, oh, can I, can I tell you what's even worse? Something we do today that they didn't do then. Back then, it was, we're good enough, they're not. We've gotten so bad now that it's, they're good enough, they're not, and I'm not. We've created self-disqualification, right? Like, God can't love me. Look at what I do, or look what I did, or look who I am, or look where I'm from, or whoever believes the most revolutionary words to ever been pinned and gathered and put before us. It is a globally known scripture verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, so what? Whoever believes, not me. Why do we keep disqualifying ourselves from something where John said, whoever believes? All right, hold on. I'm about to drop something on you, and if y'all aren't slain in your bedroom, I'm never preaching again. Watch this. Oh, gosh, thank you, Lord. John knows the law. John knew the old normal. He was completely familiar with the idea that, you know, the descendants of Abraham were assured heaven and that Gentiles were not. He, he, was, he was completely sure. He understood all of that. And then he ends up spending three years with Jesus. Have you ever thought about this? Like, okay, John meets Jesus, right? And he's, 
He's seeing this moment where Jesus is at this wedding and this guy's about to be shamed and embarrassed and has nothing to do with Jesus. And then Jesus steps up and does this phenomenal miracle for him that makes this guy the hero and not Jesus. Because when have we ever worshiped a religious figure that wouldn't make it about themselves? Oh gosh, I can't even wrote y'all right now. So he sees that and then he watches Jesus call his disciples. And instead of Jesus going and getting like the best theologians out there, he goes and gets some roughneck, foul-mouthed fishermen. And then he watches Jesus go to the tax collector, who tax collectors were not just hated by people, they were hated by their family. Because they were terrible people. They tricked people to get money. They were hated. The only friends they had were other tax collectors. And John's watching Jesus going, surely he's about to go get all the pastors and the reverends and the bishops and the cardinals and all. He's about to get all these theologian people. And Jesus says, I'll take those two fishermen and I'll take that tax collector. And he watches these people who are normal, ordinary, in some people's minds, trash. And he takes them and makes them part of his team. Then he watches him go, which we'll talk about this next week, go to Samaria and meet this woman who's at a well in an odd hour. And she's there at an odd hour because she's basically been prostituting herself and she's so embarrassed by her reputation that she doesn't want anybody to see her at the well. But Jesus goes to that well, sits down and begins to build a relationship with her. <laughs> and then John watches Jesus interact with these prostitutes and, and how he not only shows them what they do wrong, but he shows them in such a way of love that they love him back. Then, then he watches Jesus interact with this man who tells him that his daughter's dead and Jesus stops everything that he's doing. Although he's a busy man, he's only got a couple of years, I don't know, to save the world. And so he makes a beeline to go be able to resurrect this little girl. But on the way there, there's an interruption with the older woman who's had an issue with blood. And just because she touched the hem of his garment, he stops what he do, he's doing and he pays all of his attention to her. And then John watches him gather all these people and he realizes that they're hungry. And instead of telling them, hey, figure it out on your own, he takes this little boy's lunch and through the power of God, multiplies it and feeds these people and they leave with leftovers. And John is going, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And then he watches Jesus get falsely accused and arrested. And he watches Jesus carry somebody else's cross. I know it was his, but it shouldn't have been his. He watches him carry it. He already knows he's the son of God, so he knows that he's a miracle worker. So watch this. He doesn't watch them put Jesus on the cross. He watches Jesus let them put him on the cross. Right? Because he understands he's the son of God. He watches Jesus hang on the cross, and he watches Jesus who, who just, his flesh is destroyed, he's bleeding. He's watching him as he pulls himself up to be able to gather breath. And when he pulls himself up, the nails tear through his wrist and through his feet. And then they're watching him fall down and they, they watch him pierce him in the side and water and blood come out. And then they watch him eventually die. And then they take his body off. And then ultimately he's buried. Three days later, he resurrects and, and, and watch this, rewind. Here's John. I've got to tell him who Jesus is. 
I can't just give them stories of Nicodemus. I gotta, I gotta tell them, Holy Spirit, give me something that would revolutionize every person that hears it and that would identify who Jesus is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, you ready? Three years with Jesus, you ready? So, whoever behaves. Doesn't line up, right? Prostitute didn't behave. Matthew didn't behave. Fisherman didn't behave. The guy who was on the cross beside him didn't behave. I didn't behave. That's not the gospel. Scribble, because they probably didn't have erasers back then, right? So scribble. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever Beliefs. Whoever believes. It's not about how you behave. It's about if you believe. Jesus said the old normal was you behave until you believe, but I have come to establish a new normal. That whoever believes in me will then belong with me and eventually, you would see change in the way you behave. I just want to talk for a moment to every individual that's watching, that's listening. The gospel is good news. And the good news is that whoever believes, and that includes you. So I want to challenge you. Start believing. Quit trying to behave and start believing. Amen? And those who believe <clears throat> will have eternal life in him. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we come to you right now. humbled to be in your presence. I'm so thankful for the new normal because I wasn't born on the right side. But because you came, and because I believe, I get to experience eternal life. And not just that, but I get to experience life change while I'm here. 
And so I pray for every person that's watching who has tried to put behavior before belief and who has had to live in the condemnation of not being able to add up to the behavior to be able to get the reward. And I pray for them right now that they would just put their hands in the air and just say, God, I'm done. I'm done trying to do this. I'm done trying to figure this out. I'm done feeling like a failure every time I get up and look at myself in the mirror. I'm done thinking that everybody's got it figured out but me. I'm done thinking that you love everybody but me. And I'm realizing today that a man who spent years with you had to gather a simple verse that would sum up how you feel about me. And his focal points were love and belief and whoever. I pray that we would finally be able to accept the fact that Jesus died for me and that God loves me. Some of you, you've been trying to hang on to that old normal. And you're even telling yourself right now, if I could just go back, there's a new normal. And Jesus established it. So I pray you would do that. You would accept Christ as your Savior. You would begin to believe. You would allow, watch this, you'd begin to believe and then you would allow yourself to belong. And you let Jesus worry about how you behave. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.